A few years ago, my cell phone buzzed. I looked down at the name on the, on the phone, and it was a good buddy of mine, somebody I, I've hung out with quite a bit. I thought maybe he was calling to say, hey, I've got baseball tickets to the Royals game tonight, or maybe saying, hey, why don't uh, you and Julie and, and my wife and I, the four of us, get together for dinner. We'd talked a couple of weeks before about how we needed to get caught up with each other. But as soon as I, so I picked up the phone and said, hello, how you doing, buddy? And as soon as I heard his voice, I knew something was wrong. He said, Glenn, it's, it's Mikey. He passed out at baseball practice. They haven't resuscitated him. He's in an ambulance right now on his way to the hospital. We're so scared. Can you meet us there? I said, of course. Rushed down to my car, drove as quickly as I could. I got to the hospital, to the emergency room entrance at the same time they did. They were walking quickly behind the stretcher that held Mikey. He was still unconscious. They were working on him. I couldn't tell what they were doing as they were, this team of nurses and doctors were rolling him in into the emergency area. I walked up to my friend and put my arm around him. He had his arm around his wife. Three of us quietly, but hurriedly, followed that stretcher. At one point, one of the nurses stopped and turned around and said, okay, we're taking him into to an operating room here. Why don't you step over here and wait in this room off to the side? We went inside that room and quickly and in soft tones, they told me, what, what they knew, the baseball coach had called my friend and said, Mikey walked over to me in the middle of practice, said he was feeling a little lightheaded, and then he went straight down. He passed out. We called 911. They came as quick as they could. He's still not conscious. My friend looked at me with that, with that sort of desperate look that parents have when a child is hurting or in pain. He said, would you pray, please? Will you pray for us? Pray for Mikey? I said, of course. I, I don't remember what I said. I, I remember that I prayed. And then we sat for an agonizing 45 minutes in almost complete silence. And, and, and by the way, just so you know, anytime you're with someone who's going through great pain like that, come with very few words. Bring your hands and your arms and your willingness to be there with them in their sorrow or their pain. The less said, the better. Eventually, the grandfather of the boy, the, mother of, uh, the father of his mother, he came in. Another pastor friend, a, a colleague of mine also, she came during that time and sat quietly with the family, pretty much staring at the floor, wondering, worrying, overwhelmed with fright that he might not come through this. Finally, the doctor came in. You could tell by his demeanor that maybe things were going to be okay. He came in, it was so sweet to see. He, he knelt down right in front of where my friend and his wife were sitting and he took, their hand, took a hand of each of them. And he said, I, I want you to know Mikey's okay. He's conscious now. We still don't know what happened. We had to work very hard, but he's, he's with us. In a few minutes, you'll be able to see him. They thanked the doctor very much. The doctor left. And then my friend's wife, she stood up and she walked over to her father, the boy's grandfather. She collapsed into his arms and she began to sob, but not just sobbing and crying. There was this, this sort of this deep guttural groan. Have, have you ever heard that before? It just, it just came from the, the deepest part of her soul. And she just, it was loud and filled the whole room. It was maybe perhaps the most painful thing I've ever seen. She, she was releasing all of that anxiety, all that worry, all that fear, all of it in that, in that loud. I don't even want to try to imitate it. I just want to respect it. Her boy, her boy was going to be okay. 
the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. My friends, I, I was in the presence of God in that moment. I have beyond a shadow of doubt know that God's Spirit was there in that place, speaking a word of hope. May I also say what an unbelievable privilege it is for pastors like Jim and, 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 and I to walk in in moments like that with some of you in times of sorrow, pain, and worry. We, we don't look forward to it, but we know that as a part of our calling, we are called to, to step in, to bring the words from the Apostle Paul, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know, a minister's life is full of a variety of things. We're fundraisers and organizers and team leaders and, and all kinds of things, sermon writers, all of those, but I can guarantee you, I'm sure Jim will agree, we never feel more like our ordination calling is being fulfilled than when we're invited in to those moments of deep pain and sorrow, when the Spirit groans for us with sighs too deep for words. One of the issues that I have to worry about in my own personal life, though, is the fact that sometimes I think that God really only shows up when everything's great, when everything's wonderful and fine and happy and everybody's happy and in my life and my family and the church and everything's just flowing right along. Then I think, even though theologically I know this is incorrect, I still think, oh, good, now God is here. Wow, the Spirit's at work. There's a buzz in the hallways and things are going well and everything's terrific. And I tend to think that that's when God is there. And when, when it's not that way, I tend to think, well, perhaps God has abandoned me and us. And what's going on? You see, I, um, um, if you know the Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram scale. We love parties and celebrations and joy and fun. We hate pain and sorrow and darkness and worry and fear. And so we run as fast as we can away from that often. And the temptation then, and maybe this is true for all of us, the temptation is to think that it's only in those great moments that God is present, that God has somehow abandoned us in the painful ones. Sometimes we even market the church this way. Sometimes we say, hey, you gotta come to our church, come to our church and Jesus will take care of all your problems. Well, First Community Church doesn't talk that way, but you can hear that sort of marketing out there in the world. Oh, just come on in, just bring all your problems, everything will go away, it'll be fine, everything will be better. I even heard a mega church pastor once say in Southern California at a pastor's conference, don't ever preach on the crucifixion, it's too negative. Yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad too. I'm all about positivity. I'm ordained, I say all the time, to be optimistic. But somehow we've got to pay attention to the simple fact that the Bible speaks to us clearly from, ac from across thousands of years that even in our pain, in our weakness, God is present. I'm sure most of you know the story of Job. Before it was written down, it existed as, a, as an oral tale told around ancient campfires. It's the oldest story in the Bible. It goes back thousands of years before the Bible was even written down. Before, think of that. Before, before we, we read Genesis 1, there were folks gathered to talk about this man named Job. Holy and blameless, the story says. That means he was without sin. It's something to ponder for another time. 
But this man without sin has done nothing wrong in his entire life. Suddenly out of nowhere, a tornado comes, a storm of some kind comes and wipes out his family, his children, wipes out his business, everything is destroyed. By the way, when I was growing up, I grew up in a fundamentalist church. In the church we were in, we were told the reason his children were killed was because they were in a party. According to the story, they were in a party and they were drinking and dancing and having a great time. And in that particular church, we were taught that drinking and dancing were great sins. That's why they were killed. The answer to that theology is no, that's wrong, in case you're curious. And then after that happens, though, then Job's covered from head to foot in, in terrible, oozing, painful sores. And his wife, the only one left, comes up to him and she says, Job, Job, curse God and die. He has three friends who come to him and they sit with him in silence for seven days. They, they, they understand how pastoral care works, but they, they finally they can't, they can't be quiet for any longer and they finally say, Job, you know, you know this has happened to you because you've done something wrong. Just confess your sin and, and God will take care of everything there. And Job refuses because Job knows I have not done a single thing to deserve any of this. This is the struggle that the Bible wants us to wrestle with, that we've been wrestling with as human beings since the beginning of time. Why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you remember Rabbi Kushner's book, not why, but when bad things happen to good people. He didn't try to explain it. He didn't try to give the answer to the why. Instead, he said, when bad things happen, we must pay attention to the pain. Listen to his words. Pain is the price we pay for being alive. Dead cells, our hair, well, for some of you, our hair, our fingernails, they can't feel the pain. They can't feel anything. When we understand that, he wrote, our question will change from why to what. What do we do with our pain so that it becomes meaningful and not just pointless, empty suffering? It's important to remember that as we read the Apostle Paul's words, he's writing not from an ivory tower. He's not at the coast where the waves are gently lapping up against the shoreline and he's sharing deep thoughts from the deepest part of the sea, nothing like that. No, he knows pain. He knows pain. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten, tortured, imprisoned. His life is probably going to end soon as he's writing these words to the church in Rome. He understands, he understands that when pain comes, it's an opportunity to pay close attention. And so he writes to the church in Rome, this is the, this is the God who searches the heart. Another way to interpret that is to say, God is the searcher of hearts. It's like adding another name to God. You know, don't you, that the Bible has many, many names for God. Father is one. Creator is another. Fortress, rock, redeemer, those are, are names for God. Uh, Mother hen is a, name, is a name for God. Yes, it is. It's there. I can show you that later if you'd like to see. All these wonderful names for God. And here Paul introduces another one. The God who searches our hearts, the, the heart searcher. And what Paul is saying there is, God wants to know our hearts, our souls, ourselves so well that God will experience the joy and the pain and the weakness that we're experiencing at the same time. And even more than that, God wants to go to that place in your heart, in your soul, where you've put something aside that you hope no one ever sees. Even there, God wants to go to that place and say, in that place, you can be redeemed, renewed, forgiven, given new life. And this is the call of the church, too. 
we know, we know that we're called in the church to face our doubts, to face our worry, to name it out loud, to go wherever, wherever, wherever there is pain. Not just your pastors, not just Jim and me and our other pastors. All of us are called together to be together, especially in moments of worry. You've seen this happen. I know you have. Do you remember the Sunday after 9-11? I've been told that First Community Church was packed to overflowing, standing room only. The church I served in Atlanta, in Atlanta Georgia, same thing at the 11 o'clock service there. There are about 500 seats in that sanctuary. I think we counted 650 at the 11 a.m. service on the Sunday after 9-11. I'll never forget. In that sanctuary, it was kind of in a, in a half-moon shape, looking at the back where the choir sat. I could see Lior, my friend, on the organist, the organist there. He began the introduction to the opening hymn, and already there were tears streaming down his face. I could see the choir members, they, they too were already weeping. We hadn't even begun to sing the hymn, but as soon as we sang the first words, a mighty fortress is our God, I could feel the tears on my face. I doubt there was a dry eye in the room. We knew, we know in our guts, we knew then in that moment, people of faith needed to gather together to sing the hymns, to hear the words of scripture, to pray our prayers, to wonder how could this murderous act take place on our very land? And I know you did the same here. It's in seasons of pain and sorrow that God is present. This is, this is what God promises. In Matthew 16, Jesus even says to his disciples, I declare to you that not even the gates of hell can stand against my church. It's a marvelous promise. He's basically saying there's nothing that can happen that will close down your church. There's nothing that can happen that will cause you, cause you to lose if you will but show up. Maybe perhaps you remember the Apostles' Creed which says that Jesus descended into hell Read the book of Peter, the first book of Peter, his first letter to the church. He says also there, Jesus descended into hell to preach to the ones who were there, to condemn them, no, to rescue them, to rescue all of us. It's an invitation truly to you and I to show up wherever the world needs us the most. Several years ago, I was leading a mission trip of, of young people into Mexico. There's about 70 of, of us, adults and youth, who went down into Tijuana, a little area outside of Tijuana, to build homes, much like First Community Church has been doing for 20, 25 years or so. Well, we were there and had a marvelous time, built three different homes, and then a month later, got back together on a Sunday night for our celebration of our work in Mexico. And we told stories, we saw a slideshow, had some great food to eat, all of that. And then it came time for some more, more intimate sharing, and one boy stood up. He'd hardly said a word on the trip. He was kind of shy and quiet. He said, I, I'd like to tell you my, my story. He said, I, in the orientation, Glenn taught us that our church doesn't believe that people get sent to hell for punishment when they die, and I love that about our church, he said. But he also told us in the orientation that you might experience some kind of hell on earth, and in Mexico, we might see some hellish things. He said, and we did. I couldn't believe some of the poverty that I saw, how poor people were there, how awful it must be to wake up every day wondering where your food, your water is going to come from. But at the end of the week, he said, Juanita, the woman who, who we built a house for, she, came, she called all of our group in together and she told us in Spanish through a translator that she loved us, that we'd saved her life. We'd saved her children's lives. And she said, I, I love you, I love you. And he started to get a little teary-eyed. And then he composed himself and he said, so here's the thing. 
If you want to experience love, go to hell. Yeah, I know, it's kind of the same reaction. We all sat there going, I can't believe he just said that. But here, I'm not trying to be flip here or funny. Listen to what he said. He experienced the love of God in that hellish place. He wasn't trying to be funny. He wasn't trying to be crude or rude. He was naming in the only way he knew how what he'd found on that trip. What did, what did John write to the church? Perfect love casts out fear. We can leave fear behind when we, can believe, when we find ourselves believing, that is, trusting in God's love given not just to us, but to the world. Sometimes, though, sometimes, though, the pain we feel and the pain we experience is brought on by our own stupid behavior. Sometimes, as we've said, it, it might be someone running a red light. It might be a drunk driver. It might be a storm that comes out of nowhere that destroys your home. Who knows? There's a, there's a long list of, of, of things that happen. But sometimes we make dumb decisions, lousy choices, and it's hard to own up to them. After I graduated from college, I was offered two jobs. One was in Northern California, the Bay Area, as a basketball coach and a high school teacher. I was good at one of those two things. It's not the English part, in case you're curious. The other job offered to me was by a church in Northern California that needed a youth director. They'd gotten my name from the chaplain at the school. He'd put my name in. I'd talked to them, interviewed, said, okay, I, I took the job. I went to this little church to be their youth director. Had a marvelous time there, but there was one part about that, that job that I, I really didn't enjoy. On the second Sunday of every month, the youth group was in charge of going to one of the senior care facilities. We didn't call them that back then. We called them mostly convalescent homes. And this particular one was really not very, it was a weak place. People weren't cared for very well there. Well, our youth group, though, every second Sunday would go at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon and present a worship service. Anyone who wanted to would be invited to come to a community room. We'd, I'd bring about, oh, I don't know, six or seven kids, a couple of them guitar players. We'd hand out hymnals. We'd lead them in some singing. There'd be some prayers, a scripture reading, and then I would give maybe a five or six-minute sermon, just a brief little sermon. And I'm embarrassed to say I, I couldn't stand doing it. I, I, my youth program was going great. Things were happening well at the church. It was Really, really having a great time. And then on that second Tuesday, Sunday would come. I just, the smells, the, there were people with serious dementia issues mixed in with others who were fine. It was just a confusing place. Sometimes the worship services would get disrupted by all sorts of things. I, I'm embarrassed. I was only 24, but I'm still embarrassed to say I did everything I could to get out of doing it. My boss, though, still one of my best friends, his name's Doug, Doug was like, you need to show up. It's your job, now go do it. On one particular Sunday, I'd given what might have been, no, 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 no. It was the worst sermon I've ever delivered in my life. It might have been the worst sermon delivered ever in the history of the world. It was terrible. I rushed through it. I hurried through it. I couldn't get, wait to get out the door. The service was over. We sang our last hymn, gathered up all the hymnals, got the kids. We're heading out to the church van to drive away. I was the last one out the door, and there was a woman sitting there at the door at the double door entrance in a wheelchair. Her body was broken, but her mind was sharp as a tack. And she said, it's Glenn, right? Yes, ma'am. I went over and shook her hand and said, thank you for being here today. And she wouldn't let go. 
I tried to pull away, but she wouldn't let go. She pulled me down, and she said, I know you hate it here. I know you can't stand the smells and the groans. And I'm sure that next month with you come, when you come again with another cliche-filled little sermon that you'll think you're doing your job. But, but young man, I want you to understand that in this room, in every groan you heard, there was the presence of God. And if you remember anything the rest of your life, don't ever forget this. God is here, and you didn't know it. May I say, that was the most difficult lesson in ministry that I ever learned, and the greatest. Because God is here, even now, in this moment, whether you're experiencing the, the heights of joy or the depths of sorrow, or like most of us, somewhere in between, God is here in this place. Even, even in our weakness, look around, listen, let your soul sigh, and we may even experience together God's very presence. Amen.